Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. Now, before we begin today, I do want to encourage everybody to go to wealthformula.com. There is a whole lot of financial education information on there, just a lot of the basics. And in addition to that, there's some advanced stuff. And right now, there is a special report on little-known ways on how to save thousands of dollars in taxes, which I highly recommend that you download. In addition, you can ask me questions that I will then address on an Ask Buck show coming up in the near future by clicking on the Ask Buck button and simply writing in your question. But today, I want to talk a little bit about how to use your IRA to invest in real stuff. Now, I've been talking to many high-paid professionals like you lately who found some inspiration from the guests that I've had on the show or other people that they've heard. And whenever I get a chance to ask people what kinds of things they want to invest in, they've got a lot of great ideas. You know, they talk about real estate or mortgage notes or gold, oil and gas. You know, virtually everyone, including me, only wishes they had more money in the world so that they could buy cool stuff I'm not talking about cool cars, but like real estate and stuff, and invest with others doing cool projects. Well, why not? It's the stuff that actually has a good chance of making money, and well, it's kind of fun too, isn't it? So in many of the conversations I've had, the idea of using retirement funds to invest in some of these real estate assets, then what I realize is that most of you actually don't know that your retirement account does not have to be limited to the garbage that your wealth advisors recommend, namely stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Now, I spent pretty much the entire last podcast trashing these volatile, nonsensical derivatives, so I won't do that again. But what I have to tell you is what really gets me irritated is the fact that Wall Street is really the one behind most people's ignorance. It's not your fault. It's what we're taught, what we're led to believe. You see, Wall Street doesn't want you to know that you can buy things like real estate and gold with your retirement funds. Why would they? We talked about it before, but Wall Street is there not to make you money. They are there to take your money through huge commissions and fees. And if you started investing in real assets instead of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, well, they wouldn't get to take advantage of you. It's simply not as profitable for them. In fact, if you have a wealth advisor, do this. Ask him or her if you can invest in real estate with your retirement funds. Well, I guarantee you that many of you in response will get a blank stare or your advisor will simply say no. In rare instances, you might hear your advisor refer to this as an alternative investment. Alternative investments, right? That's what they're calling these things when you invest your IRA in gold and real estate things that are real. 
Now, gold has had value for thousands of years. Now, what's alternative about that? I don't know. You're going to have to ask your wealth advisor. You see, Wall Street will make you think that it's difficult and risky to self-direct your retirement funds, but it's neither, in my opinion. And in fact, today, we've got a really good guest on the show who's going to tell you exactly how you can do that. So when we come back, a discussion with Glenn Mather from New View IRA. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey again, and today we've got a great guest on the program. It is Glenn Mather from New View IRA. So Glenn is the owner and director of New View, which is a third-party administrator for self-directed IRAs and retirement plans, and his company provides record-keeping for over a half billion dollars in IRA assets. So welcome to the program, Glenn. Thank you, Buck. It's great to be here. So Glenn, tell me, I always like to get a little bit of a background. I mean, this is sort of a unique niche. How did you end up you know, in the IRA space? It's ironic because a lot of times the best things that ever happened to you happened to you because you were disrupted. And I was disrupted. I started off working for a company called Lockheed Missiles and Space Company out in Northern California. And after 13 years left that, started my own business with a couple of friends. Unfortunately, along the way, 9-11 happened. It was a consulting business. And so at that point in time, I decided to move to Florida. But before I moved there, I had read somewhere that you could take your IRA and invest in real estate. And I always had a passion for this. So what I ended up doing is rolling over my 401k from my Lockheed plan and actually started buying real estate with it. And I did it with a local bank and they charged me a lot of money, but that was okay because I had the freedom to do this. When I relocated to Florida, I got the idea of starting a business all around providing this same service that the bank was providing to high net worth individuals to the public at large. And we did that. We started a self-directed company now, which is named New View IRA, 13 years ago, just outside Orlando. And God has blessed us tremendously. We have grown tremendously because the demand for people to take control of their IRA is just immense. Now, tell me a little bit about that. First of all, let's talk in terms of the word IRA. Is it just IRAs? Is 401ks, Roth IRAs? Is it pretty much everything or is it just focused on IRAs for some reason? Well, here's what happens. It has to do with the plan documents and how controlled it is. So when you're with your employer, and there's different employer plans, there's 401ks, 403bs, thrift savings plans. These are all plans where they're called employer plans. And so the employer generally is the trustee of the plan, and they buy these plans from Wall Street. And uh, Wall Street wants you to put stocks and bonds and mutual funds in, and the plan trustee determines what choices you have. Sometimes the employer adds, of course, funds to your contribution, and that's how mostly America saves. Those are 401k plans. Those generally cannot be utilized for self-direction. It's only when you roll out of those plans into the four types of IRAs that you're allowed to self-direct. Wow, that's interesting to know. So if you've got a 401k, and most people can't just roll out of that, 
uh, while they're still employed, can they? Or Well, it, it has to do with age generally. Um, a lot of these plans, and the plans are not similar. They have certain characteristics of the same, but certain rules are up to the trustee and the plan documents. So there are lots of companies who will allow you to roll out a portion or all of your assets out of the 401k, stay working there, stay in the plan once you achieve a certain age. Sometimes it's as young as 50, sometimes it's 55, sometimes it's 60. Certainly I would look, if you were employed by employer, have a 401k plan and you want to self-direct and who wouldn't want to do that, and you're 50 or over, there's a high likelihood that your plan may allow you to roll a portion of that out into a self-directed IRA. That's something probably everybody should look into. And getting back to that point of, you know, even just thinking about our retirement accounts, it seems to me that especially young people, they don't really even think about what's going into their IRA and where it's going and getting invested and that sort of thing. Why do you think that is, Glenn? Well, I think that the the market has basically taught us that we can't possibly make these decisions on our own, that we have to be dependent on others. And if you kind of take a look at who we've grown dependent on, it's the people that are actually selling us assets. So uh, you're not getting it from an independent party. You're getting it from somebody who actually is making commissions or making fees based on your decisions. And that seems like an awkward way to buy and plan. Also, all of those advisors, of course, take fees and diminish the returns that you get. And by the same token, traditional marketplaces limit your choices. So if you're taking fees out and limiting your choices, it's going to have a detrimental effect on how well you're going to retire. Right. So to me, it seems like it's sort of a rigged system, right? So you've got these banks who are essentially in charge of setting up these programs, and they're the ones who are providing the investment services, and then they're the ones who are actually getting paid on those investments. So it's probably not the most ideal situation for an investor, but... Let me... Can I I make a comment on that, Buck, for just a moment? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that as a provider for these services, I'm no different than any of your uh, listening audience. I have to retire too. And although I run a business, I need to have a separate, you know, income apart from my business to retire. And one thing that, you know, I like real estate a lot and I do other things, but I love the fact that in if I can in private investments, I can actually find assets that are being sold at a fire sale price. I can buy low and sell at market. You can never sell above market, but you can buy below market. And the beauty is, is when you're doing this on private investments, non-public ones that are publicly traded, you have a huge benefit because if I'm going to the stock market, imagine going to your broker and asking them to buy a share of Apple at 20% off the retail price. So in the market, you're always buying at retail and hoping it goes up. What happens when you're out of the market, you could buy at a discount and then already bake in the gains at the time that you purchase. And I love that aspect about self-direction. Right. And it's funny that we call this investing in real estate or other real stuff is labeled alternative investing through your IRA. Isn't that correct? Well, that's certainly a name. I mean, self-direction is a name. And, and, you know, quite frankly, they're not really good descriptors, yeah. um, but uh, it's the moniker that's placed on these types of investments. Yeah. I think it's the reason I bring that up just because I think it's sort of ironic because the types of things we're talking about investments in are things like real estate or precious metals or private companies. And these are things that we think of as real things. And it's sort of ironic to me that they sort of get labeled alternative when it comes to IRA investing. Yeah, it'd be kind of like calling it alternative medicine, right? <laughs> That's in which, right. In which, and you might have some personal uh, interest in that, but it sometimes is viewed pejoratively, unfairly. 
you know, because the alternatives may be the best choice for you overall. Yeah, and a lot of the people who are in charge of this, and I remember talking or listening to uh, Russell Gray from Real Estate Guys about this, about how he, when he was first trying to invest in real estate, called up his IRA person and said that he wanted to do it. And all they told him was, well, you can't do that. So even the people who are responsible for investing your IRA a lot of times don't know what the limitations are. So what limitations are there? Well, the limitations are, first of all, do you have an IRA or an ability to contribute to one? And of course, most of America saves through payroll deduction of employer plans. So, you know, that's, that's the genesis where most wealth actually starts to be built. That's not where the wealth is created as far as the investments go. That's once it's rolled over. So you can contribute, and it's interesting because most people think of IRAs as you know, $5,500 if you're under 50 and $6,500 if you're over 50, and that's true for traditional and Roth IRAs, and by the way, Roths are tremendous, but you can also have a SEP IRA, and you can put $53,000 in it, you can have a solo 401k, and that's for people that are independent contractors, and put up to $59,000, so you can actually set aside a lot of money even if you're later on in your life and you need to plow as much into these tax-deferred funds as possible. So there's options to get more money in quickly depending on how you earn your money in your particular situation. What are the limitations to what you can invest in? And we talked about that you can invest in real estate, tax liens, secured, unsecured notes, etc. Is there certain things that just are off the table? What's, what's, the, what's the guideline? Well, interestingly enough, that's an extremely short list. Uh, you're not allowed to invest in collectibles. And there's subsets to that, artwork and gems and stamps, coins, these kinds of things you're not allowed to do. So collectibles, so Yadros and Hummels, thank goodness, aren't able to be purchased in my IRA or else my wife would already be asking me to purchase those. So understand that's a very small subset. Almost everything else is on the table. The only other element that they said that you can't invest in is you can't invest in life insurance and you can't invest in an S-corp. Outside of that, the limitations are not around the type of investment. It's much more around the relationship of the parties than the type of investment. So even precious metals, obviously, you know, you can talk about collectibles, but if they are, you know, gold coins, how do they determine whether it's a collectible coin versus just that it's gold? It really has to do, well, first of all, there's purity considerations. So you have to achieve the purity considerations in gold and silver and platinum, palladium are the four metals you're allowed to hold in an IRA. And there's various levels that you have to have. You're also not allowed to buy something that has a huge cost premium associated with it, price premium, because it's unique or it's double struck or it has a unique kind of facing. It's more around the content of the metal itself is what you should be investing in, not due to the rarity of the coin itself. Well, that sounds like most of the time when we invest in metals, that's what we're looking for is purity. So let's talk a little bit, Glenn, if you would, about real estate, because that's a big topic on this show and a lot of the listeners are interested in it. Can you take me through the process of how it would work? Say I wanted to buy a home, a rental home. Presumably you can't buy a home that you live in, but you can buy a rental home. And how would that work? How does that transaction occur? How does it have to be managed? Can you take us through that? Yeah, I'll be glad to do that. And I want to touch on one other aspect of this, which I, you had asked about the things that you're not allowed to hold in an IRA. Um, there's one other caveat, and that is who you're buying and who you're buying that property from and how it's going to be used. 
that's an important consideration. So understand that when you're dealing with your IRA and your IRA is being used to purchase anything, you cannot get a personal benefit from it. Think of this, this is different. This is your retirement money. So it's your retirement plan, your retirement funds that must grow over the years. You'll get the benefit when you take out the distribution. Okay, so this is not something that you can actually go and buy a beachside condo, rent it out 50 weeks a year, and then have your family stay in it two weeks a year. You're considered a disqualified party. We don't need to go into the depth on that. You can certainly go to our website at newviewira.com, and there's a lot of information about those types of things. But think of an arm's length transaction, something that you and your fiduciaries and your family members don't get a benefit from. So if you've cleared that hurdle, and most clients have no problems clearing that hurdle, Let's say that you want to go out and start looking for real estate. You can do it with a realtor or you can find it on your own. You'd first have to open and fund an account. Now, what's interesting, that's a really relatively easy process. It costs you $50 with NewView to do that. But when you open the account and then you'll roll over or fund it, that gives you the ability to go out shopping. There's a seven-day right of rescission once you've opened your account to change your mind. So after seven days, we can actually send a check directly to the broker or the escrow agent for the property. So let's say that you're driving around with a realtor and you find a piece of property and you want to put an offer on it. All you're going to have to do is you have to make sure that that offer is titled correctly, Buck. And in the case of if you're using NewView, it would be titled, the offer would be titled NewView IRA, FBO, or for the benefit of, then your name. So in your case, it would be Buck Joffrey's IRA. NewView IRA, FBO, Buck Joffrey's IRA. Reason for that is that, in essence, starts the process say, I've always owned this in my IRA. The offer went in the IRA. The good faith deposit came out of the IRA and went directly to the broker or the escrow agent. And then when we close, it's closed in the name of the IRA. So this way, it's never in your personal name because that would be considered a prohibited transaction. So that process can all happen within a week. So it's a very fast process. Can this, uh, when you buy the asset, now in the case of, say, a single-family home, people who have these smaller properties, a lot of times they will self-manage. Is that still possible to do, or is there, you know, you talk about an arm's length. I mean, is there issues with money coming into your hands before it goes to New View if you're collecting rent or something like that? As long as you have a clear understanding of the rules and you comply with the rules, there's nothing in the IRS code that says that you have to hire a third party to do it. In my case, I hire a third party because I don't want to be bothered by it. I don't want any of the concerns or issues to arise. If you're not good with record keeping, you're a little bit sloppy and you might know that, much better to go hire a third party to do this. The third party could be a property manager or it could be, let's say, a CPA that holds some funds in case you have to get access to them quickly to fix a leaky toilet or a window that breaks you can actually use a third party to hold those funds for you. I'd say most of our clients use property managers, but it is not required in the code to do so. Got it. So one of the other advantages of real estate, certainly in terms of our ability to use debt in order to buy larger properties, et cetera, I was actually surprised to learn from your website that it looks like you can actually use some leverage when purchasing real estate. Is that right? You can use leverage in your IRA. Most people have no idea. I think the challenge is you can do it, but you have to find a lender that's willing to do it. And you say, well, you know, people lend on real estate all the time. Yes, but there's certain rules around an IRA leveraged piece of real estate. The main caveat is that the asset itself is the only recourse for the bank. 
these are called non-recourse loans, and it's really a misnomer. There's one recourse. So if the IRA doesn't pay back the bank, the bank has a right to foreclose the property. That only makes sense. That's their protection. But the beauty is, is under this structure, they can't come and get any other aspect, any other assets in the IRA, or they cannot get any other of your personal assets. It's all lending. It's called asset-backed lending. It's all non, considered non-recourse. So you, so you ask yourself, where do you go to find something like that? Well, there is a bank out of Missouri called North American Savings Bank. And if you just use the initials, nasb.com, they're not affiliated with us. But I know a lot of our clients actually use them as a source for these funds. They require usually a much larger down payment because, after all, the equity in the property is the only protection for the bank. But it might be a way that would be intriguing to clients who can't get into a house or want to get into multiple properties in their IRA. Uh, it's a way for them to do so, especially if it's going to be appreciating. And, of course, we all hope that happens when we buy real estate. Um, one of the caveats to understand is that if you do this and you gain have gains on that property before you've actually paid the loan off, there can be some taxes that accrue. It's called unrelated debt financed income tax inside your IRA. And uh, of course, that's a much longer subject and it can certainly help any of the listeners kind of step them through and help them understand that. And it's something you need to understand before you put used debt inside your IRA. But the great thing is it works. We have hundreds of clients that do that today. That's pretty amazing, actually. I mean, that changes the game completely in some regards. Now, leverage in terms of non-recourse loans, usually, you know, they don't start for properties less than, say, you know, two, three million dollars. Are you finding that with higher equity and down payments that some people are getting smaller properties through. Yeah, I mean that the bank that I told you about is one that does that. Yeah. They've made it and they've been in that business for 12 13 years. So if it wasn't profitable for them, they wouldn't be in it. The biggest problem with those is underwriting becomes very important, right? For asset backed. So instead of doing due diligence on you, they're more interested in doing due diligence on the properties and stuff. So, yeah, it's there. And one thing to never forget is that if you're fortunate enough to find property where it's seller finance, that's just as good or better because you can negotiate that and make it non-recourse because the seller doesn't mind getting the property back as long as they get a nice, healthy down payment from you in the first place out of your IRA. So we have many, many clients that actually have seller finance deals in their IRA. So once again, that is North American Savings Bank. I'm guessing that some people are going to want to write that down. I certainly am. Obviously, if you can do a home or you can do an apartment building, you can obviously use your IRA money to be, say, a limited partner in various syndications, whether that's uh, various funds for real estate, et cetera. Is that right? Oh, sure. We have, you know, it's interesting that probably 60% of of our uh our, all of our assets are in real estate one way or the other, but the largest segment of real estate that's growing is syndications. And a lot of that is because that allows people to take bite-sized chunks and invest in things that they don't have to operate. They don't have to deal with tenants and toilets and termites and all that stuff, but yet they still get a piece of the equity growth as well as the income. So it becomes very attractive to investors who want to play in that space, but they don't want to do it through the stock market where they have to pay all the management fees associated with selling and holding those assets. Tell me one or two of your favorite unique uses of IRAs that we might not consider typical that you've seen that's worked out. Well, let's look at one thing. I love this idea. It's called joint venture. What we tend to want to invest in is, first of all, we want to invest with someone we trust. That makes a whole lot of sense. And a lot of times people that we trust are in this business, but we don't know. We don't know exactly what they do because we never thought that we had enough money to invest with them. 
I'll give you an example. I have a good friend of mine that is a contractor out in Lake County, which is just a suburb of Orlando. And we've been friends for a long time, and he builds these big houses. So I couldn't afford a big house, and, and certainly I didn't want to own one in my IRA, but I like the smaller stuff, the stuff that cash flows and stuff. So um, he had all the knowledge, but I had the funds in my IRA. So I told him, I said, let's do this. Let's do a joint venture. I said, you go find a place that needs to be fixed up that you think has great growth potential. And what I'm going to do is buy that property in my IRA, and then we're going to sit down and decide. Actually, before I buy it, we're going to decide what it's going to take to fix up and what it's going to be worth at the end. So he found a property that cost $100,000 that he said, we can easily get $200,000 out the end, but I need about $35,000 to fix it up. I said, well, this is a fun first thing to do. So here's the way we wrote up the agreement. I wrote a, a, a joint venture agreement, had an attorney go through it, but I was donating or contributing into the joint venture the $100,000 property bought with my IRA. He was contributing $35,000 of labor and materials to the effort. And then we had an agreement. We would put it up on the marketplace. We would list it for $100,000. We would drop it by $5,000 every month that we didn't sell it. And when we come to the end, I would get the first $100,000 out from my IRA. He would get the next $35,000 out for his efforts, and we would split the rest 50-50. And that worked so well that we've been doing it on multiple properties. That's just an example of kind of thinking outside the box where I had the money, but I had no idea how to execute. So you can do it on deals like that, or you can do it on much bigger deals, which in essence, that's kind of what a syndication does, doesn't it? It wraps lots of investors around ideas like that, maybe multifamily properties, and allows you to take a piece of it. So you can go all the way down where it's just two people working on a, a joint venture, or you can go up to where there's 100 people joined together on a syndication. That's what's kind of fun with self-direction, is you have a choice of all of these types of arrangements. What about businesses? Have you seen anything interesting on the side of, you know, not real estate necessarily, but just investing in, say, startups and that sort of thing? I do. I mean, there's people that are hooked on that. And and although I don't know much about that business, everybody tells me that they look for, they plan on like one out of five or one out of seven to really take off. And that's good numbers for them. And it's a weird way to invest because I want everything that I invest in to go up. But there's certainly a group of investors that love to do that. One caveat to understand is that if you're investing in an operational company that is not a C-Corp, in other words, it doesn't pay its own taxes, if you invest in an entity with your IRA that is a pass-through tax entity, and of course, we're used to these with LLCs, they're typically a pass-through tax entity, then if your IRA invests in that and it's a pass-through and makes a lot of money, that the IRA itself will actually have to pay a tax inside. It's called unrelated business income tax. And it's just a way that the IRS says, okay, you use tax-deferred money. The entity didn't pay tax, so we're going to charge you some tax. And once again, be aware of that. That's something you can talk to your CPA about before you go into these early-stage growth companies or LLCs. There may be a tax that's engendered. We'll be glad to talk to your CPA along with you about how that might affect your investment. So looking at this from uh, the other perspective for a second, you're talking about some of the operators and syndicators, what are some of the issues that, you know, we have some sponsors listening to the show as well and syndicators, what are some of the issues that they need to be aware of? For example, are there limitations on the amount of IRA money in a given offering or anything like that? Yeah, generally the rule is no more than 25% of your raise in your syndication should be from a retirement plan. 
It has to do with plan asset rules, which means that the trustee of the, or excuse me, the organizer manager of the fund itself may be declared a fiduciary of the IRA, which is not where you want to be if you're gathering funds. So it's better to keep those, I'm told by attorneys, it's better to keep those funds at 25% or less of the total raise. That makes sense. So Glenn, you've managed to somehow make the idea of IRAs into something that's fun. And so congratulations for that. Uh, you know, I went to this event, uh, this Planning for Prosperity that was uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was just really a great event, Glenn. And I wanted to ask you if you could tell us about some events coming up. Obviously, you know, any sort of educational events or people want to get to understand more about how the creative ways that they can use their IRA, different opportunities that come up. What kinds of education do you have for us on that? We love it when we see people face-to-face, and that's a lot of fun, our annual event. People fly all in from all over, and but that's annual, and no one should have to wait 12 months to learn about self-directed IRAs. We have webinars. We both have them recorded, and we have them live every month that uh, come to you from Orlando. We'd love you to do that. Uh, we have quarterly events that are live that we invite people to come into. And then the website gives you everything that you need to get started, and we're all about human interaction. So we would invite people to call us, not just go on our website, but call us. We'll give the website out, not the phone number, because it's easy to get our phone number from the website. It's just newviewira.com. It's N-U-V-I-E-W-I-R-A.com. Because it's nice to go over individually with you, because chances are you have your own unique types of plans. We can talk about what type of IRA you actually ought to be in. Before we wrap this up, I just want to make sure that there's a couple different plans that also can be self-directed and can be partnered. We, there's SEP, Simple, Traditional, and Roth IRAs all can be self-directed. But also your HSA and your Coverdale, which is interesting. Coverdale is, is a way that, that you can build educational wealth for people that are, need to go to college or kids or grandkids, and you can build that without paying taxes on the gains and self-direct it. So I can actually, and I've done this, I can actually invest in a property and have a piece of it owned by my HSA, piece of it owned by a Coverdale, and piece of it owned by my Roth IRA. So this power goes far beyond just an IRA. There's actually other types of plans that you can self-direct. This is all great information, Glenn, and I'm sure people are going to be interested in this. Uh, you know, one of the things I've noticed is whenever I talk to investors and we talk about, you know, what their investable assets are, for some reason, uh, they always uh, skip their retirement funds. And to know that you can actually dip into those and actually put them to work is sort of liberating. So I thank you for facilitating that. And uh, thanks for being on our show today, Glenn. Well, thank you very much, Buck, for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com.
Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.